So welcome to Bible Quest, and let me bring in the panelists. How are you doing, uh, Stephen? Good to see you. Yeah, I'm doing well. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Jonathan, uh, where are you, John? Are you in Louisville? Is that what you're wearing today? Uh, I'm wearing it today, but I'm in Pennsylvania still. I'll, I'll be in Louisville in a couple of weeks, I think, Lord willing. So but I, I live in Gettysburg. So. And uh, Scott, our program director, also in Pennsylvania. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing all right, Drew. How are you? I'm doing very good. Um, and I'm Drew, your host. I'm in, well, I was going to say Honesdale, but now I'm working between Honesdale and Scranton. So I'm in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm glad to be able to join you guys today. Um, all right. So, Scott, where are we going? Who's going to start off with the question? Yeah, I can read the question really quick. Jonathan, go ahead with that, please. Yeah, so we got a question from one of our viewers um, last week. Uh, they said, I had someone recently ask if marrying a family member would be immoral, even if there is no civil law that prohibits it. Does it make a difference if they are immediate family members, i.e. brothers and sister, or more distant relatives, first, second, or third cousins? To reduce complexity of the issue, assume neither party has been married before. Marriages within families is a common practice in some places outside of the U.S., so we're going to be looking at some New Testament passages and some Old Testament passages. Of course, in general, we're not under the Mosaic Law today, of course, but there are things in the Mosaic Law that either predate Mosaic Law or also come forward. Murder was wrong before the Mosaic Law. Murder is wrong after Mosaic Law, uh, for example. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 5 uh, on this topic of incest. We're going to be looking at Acts 15 and then back to Leviticus 18. Uh, so there's not a verse in the New Testament that says don't marry your cousin. There's not a verse in the Old Testament that says don't marry your cousin. And there's not a verse in the instructions to Noah that said don't marry your cousin. But we'll see what some of these texts did say. Uh, so let's begin with 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, First Corinthians 5. Um, is there any biblical uh, reference to the problem of incest? And I would say First Corinthians 5 might be a good place to start because what? Well, First Corinthians 5 starts out with uh, kind of this new section in the Corinthian letter of a problem that's happening in the church that Paul's been made aware of. And it's interesting how he gets the topic introduced in verse 1 of First Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, which would have been bad in and of itself. But Paul goes on to say, and a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. So there's this above and beyond terrible type of sexual immorality that's happening where a son is having sexual relations with his with his mother, I, I assume, uh, could, be, could have been his mother, maybe stepmother, I don't know uh, exactly what it was, but wrong type of relationship yeah i'm assuming stepmother because it doesn't say his mother but it says his father's wife but it could have been mother uh and so if he'd been having an affair with his neighbor's wife that would have been intolerable and wrong and the church should have done something about it if he'd been having an affair with one of the prostitutes in town that would have been tolerable the church should have done something about it but as jonathan pointed out the language points out not only is he engaging in fornication? He's engaging in a fornication that even the Gentiles 
won't do. So there's something added here. So we definitely see the, the, the problem of incest comes into play. Um, let's look first briefly at Acts 15 and then go back to the Old Testament passage that talks about incest. Uh, let's go to Acts chapter 15. And this is, somebody set the stage for us. What's happening in Acts chapter 15? Wasn't this the one where they, they uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas went down to Jerusalem for the meeting that they were going to have with the apostles because of the Judaize, Judaizing teachers were trying to bring in that Gentiles had to be circumcised before they can officially be a Christian, before they can be accepted or have their sins forgiven. And that they were teaching this false teaching that you had to obey the law of Moses before you become a Christian. Right. And so in understanding and being careful about this subject of old covenant, new covenant, let's make sure at the beginning, we see what the problem was here. Somebody read specifically what the Judaizers had said there in verse one. It says in Acts 15 verse one, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And do Paul and Barnabas say, that's right, you have to follow the law of Moses? No, no, there. no, no. no small debate. Yeah. So in verse three, they're going through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they're describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And what's the reaction there to the news of Gentiles coming to Jesus? Well, it was great joy, but when it says it's great joy to all the brothers, would that be Jewish brethren as well, you know, Jewish Christians? Well, this is Phoenicia and Samaria. Oh, so, so that, most, that would be non-Jews Christians. Yeah, I mean, there might have been some Jews in there, and the Samaritans, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> would have perhaps likely had some Israelite blood in them. Uh, but this is, yeah, not primarily uh, the Jews here. Um, but when they come to Jerusalem, who opposes it? And notice what they say specifically. Some of the Pharisees in verse 5 get up and say, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So we don't want to be Pharisees and say that we have to keep the law of Moses. Does that mean that there's not anything we can learn from the law of Moses? No. Jesus says the two greatest commandments come from the law of Moses. Right. And are many of the laws of Moses repeated in word or in principle in the New Testament? Yeah. You say all but, nine, all but one. Uh, well, okay, you're talking about the Ten Commandments, yes. I'm sorry, I misunderstood, yeah. No, no, but that, that's good, because the, the Ten Commandments, um, for instance, were to honor our father and mother, were to not steal, were to not be covetous, were to not kill, et cetera, et cetera, murder, et cetera, et cetera, uh, but we're not told to keep the Sabbath. But there's other things that were law of Moses, too, like... Um, Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Was that part of the law of Moses? Yeah. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Yes. So just because it's in the law of Moses doesn't automatically make it binding on us, but nor should we assume if it's in the law of Moses, it's not in the New Testament. It's not binding on us. Let's continue. After there'd been much debate, and just summing that up, somebody sum up very briefly what was Peter's argument? Look at the conversion of Cornelius and all the signs that God showed. Clearly, God was okay with Cornelius being right. converted without becoming a Jew. 
Right. Somebody briefly sum up Barnabas and Paul's argument. Look at the signs and wonders that God did among the Gentiles when we went on yeah. those trips. And then somebody sum up James's argument. This agrees with Amos chapter 9. The scriptures are the final word, and God said the Gentiles would be called by his name. All right. So then he says, my judgment is that we trouble not those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Notice this phrase, trouble them. We should not trouble them. Do you remember that phrase from Galatians? Yeah. There's people who went out and troubled you. I wish that those yeah. who were troubling you, yeah. things would happen to them. Yeah, either these same individuals or individuals like them. So it says, let's not trouble them, but we should write to them that they do what? Abstain from things that are polluted by idols, from sexual morality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. Okay. From ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he's read in the Sabbath in the synagogues. So James is saying there are some things from the Mosaic law that need to be followed, and there are some things from Mosaic law that don't need to be followed. Would everybody agree with that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. The council's letter. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from them, send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men, and they wrote the following letter. The brothers. Oh, by the way, trivia question. What's the shortest epistle? What's the shortest apostolic epistle in the New Testament? The one written to Antioch here yes. in Acts 15. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, greetings. Since we've heard that persons have come out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us having to come aboard, one accord, to choose men, send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is commending Barnabas and Paul, who've been criticized by the Judaizers, no doubt. We have, pardon me, we have sent Judas and Silas. They'll tell you the same things by word of mouth. By the way, why would this be significant here to have somebody go and say the same things by word of mouth? Confirmation. Yeah. There were false letters that circulated. So having, having an eyewitness to say, hey, this is really from them. This is what they said. That's right. Um, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these requirements and what are they abstain what has been sacrificed to idols uh, from blood and from a strangle and from sexual immorality all right where else in the new testament are we told not to eat blood this is it in the new testament this is it but this was taught and to be followed they were sent off they went down to antioch they gathered the congregation lever they delivered the letter and then in chapter 16, uh, let me just jump ahead to chapter 16 and um, look as they're going through. Somebody read there verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So remember, James had mentioned the law of Moses and people's familiar with it and said, we only should, let's only... Uh, tell them they need to do these necessary things. 
these things are back in the law of Moses and particularly back in Leviticus 17 and 18. And so that brings us to these instructions here um, about um, incest. So starting here in 18.1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I'm the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you live. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules, keep my statutes. You shall keep my statutes and rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. And it includes this. Somebody read for us uh, verse 6 through 10, please. Yeah, so Leviticus 18, verse 6. <clears throat> None of you shall approach anyone of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother, and you shall not uncover her nakedness. And you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. And you shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. And you shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your, da or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. And you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, be brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. I went a little bit farther than what you said. That's fine. Keep going. Uh, verse 12, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother, that is, you shall not approach his wife, she is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law, she is your son's wife, and you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife, it is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. You shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is alive. And then it goes on not to approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she's in her menstrual cycle, not to lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, not to give your children to Molech, not to lie with a male as with a woman, not to lie with an animal, etc., etc. Notice here in verse 24, are these things only for the Israelites? Read verse 24 and 25. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Now, did God punish uh, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites because they weren't circumcised after no. the man of Abraham. No. Did he punish them because uh, they did not keep the Passover? No. no. Right. So these are, are some general prohibitions here, and we'll, we can talk about some exceptions in earlier times in, in a moment. Uh, but in these lists here, did, because our question was about a cousin, did any of this address the cousin? It came close, but I don't know if it exactly. Uh, got to aunts and uncles. Um, I'm not sure if it actually addresses the cousin in particular. Yeah, it, didn't. it didn't. It says, don't approach your close relatives. And then, you know, close is a 
relative term. No pun intended. <laughs> that was relatively funny. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but let, let's look briefly at some of the things. So not, uh, it says, don't uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. So in other words, that's his nakedness. That belongs to him. Don't uncover that. Your mother. Scott, Scott before you go too much further, some, some more uh, people were coming in. Can you just repeat the, the reference what, where you're reading? We're in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 7. And we're, we're talking about the question of, can you marry a cousin? Uh, and from Acts 15, we looked at the references where James talks about, here's, they don't have to keep all the Mosaic law, but here's some things they do need to keep. And it mentioned about like blood, idolatry, and um, all uh, forms of morality. And so we're going back to the text where it talks about sexual immorality. And we're seeing that in not just Mosaic law, but accountability of the nations, these things weren't to be done. And so the relations included not your mother, nor your father's wife, because in some situations, the person that's your father's wife is not your mother. And what was the passage we started with? First Corinthians 5. Yeah. And the problem there was, listen, this guy is committing fornication, but he's not just committing any fornication. He's even committing fornication that the people in Corinth wouldn't have done. And that is, it's specifically verse eight. He's has his father's wife. So that again supports the idea that these things are still significant. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter. So that would be include half-sister. Whether brought up in the family or in another home, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter. That's going to be your grandchildren. Uh, not not your father's wife's daughter, that's half-sister. Not your father's sister, that would be your aunt. Not your mother's sister, that's an aunt. Uh, not your father's brother, don't, not his wife, that's your aunt. Not your daughter-in-law, but it never mentions cousin. So biblically, is there a prohibition against marrying a cousin? There doesn't seem to be, not spelled out. All right. Do we also have an obligation to do what's honorable and follow the law where we live? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So secular law, government law. Right. Yeah. Uh, cousin marriage law in the United States. Um, first cousin marriage allowed. Alabama, yes. Alaska, yes. Arizona, only if both parties are 65 or older. Why would Arizona be concerned about the age of the people involved? Children cannot be brought into that age. And why would they be concerned about that? Uh, there's where you have problems. Close relatives would have problems with their, their genes that may be impure and yeah. could cause other issues with uh, uh, children. Yeah, so let's, let's pause and talk about this. And I'm gonna throw out a question. What is the genetic problem how does that work? Why is it important? And what about in the beginning, Adam and Eve had children, apparently brothers and sisters married each other in Genesis, and how does that tie in? So first off, I'm throwing out the question, how does the genetics part, why is this a genetic concern? 
Oh, there's a lot of mutations that are going on in our in our systems. And if you have uh, two, two uh, adults that have uh, mutations that are negative come together, you, you're doubling the chances that you're going to cause that mutation to have a problem with the offspring. Yes. Over time, we accumulate mutations. Uh, let, let's compare it to, do any of you guys have any software that when it was brand new, it worked perfectly? But after a while, one little feature isn't working right. There's a glitch in it, and that little thing doesn't work anymore. Uh, my PowerPoint, I can no longer just select a group of slides and move them. I don't know why, but that that quit working. Um, uh, so if you get glitches over time in your software, can we get glitches in our DNA? Absolutely. Yeah, so I'll share. I, I don't know if you guys know of any mutations you got. Uh, I'm colorblind, partially colorblind. That's something that goes from a father through a daughter often that is not affected by it, but is a carrier and will often go to her sons. So a lot of the males among my relatives are colorblind. None of the females are. Anybody else got a mutation you want to share? To clarify, you're, you're talking about inherited mutations because there's other types that aren't, but this, the concern is on inherited mutations. Inheritable mutations. Um, and I think, I, I'm not sure how many, I think a great many mutations would be inherited. Uh, sickle cell, uh, the disease called sickle cell is also, I think, inheritable. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think primarily, unless there's something I'm missing, I think in general, mutations are potentially inheritable. So what happens is probably all three of you have some mutations and some of them you may not even know about. But if you marry somebody else, just think of all that DNA code, okay? So Jonathan recently married my daughter, uh, TJ. So TJ may have a, a mutation. In fact, there's a 50-50 chance she's a carrier of being colorblind, which means Jonathan Thumper if she is, Thumper has a 50-50 chance of being colorblind. Thumper is the womb name for their kid. Just yes. for those listening. That's, that's not good because we already have vision problems on my side of the family. So <laughs> our, our son is a goner. <laughs> so, so now it, it could be that your genes will take care of the colorblind stuff and her genes will take care of the other vision stuff. And, you know, Thumper may come out with great vision. But can you see the more you marry within and breed within the same gene pool, if, if you're missing something here and you're missing something here, then guess what? The offspring is more likely to. And so if you think about it, a, a lot of dog breeding, one of the problems they get into sometimes is, you know, inbreeding issue. So does the state have an interest in people too close to each other not marrying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting. The Samaritans still exist. There are only a few hundred um, or in the maybe there's at least 100, maybe there's 400 or so last time I checked. The Samaritans still worship at Mount Gerizim and still sacrifice the Passover lamb. Um, but before they marry, they have to take a genetic test. And can you see why? within that small of a gene pool, you know, it, there, there's a real potential inbreeding problem. 
So let's go back to that chart. Um, first cousin is far enough away. There's enough other things involved. <clears throat> Were you sharing your screen, Scott, or not? Thought I was, but um, apparently I'm not. No, you're no, not. I can't see it. Okay, here we go. All right, so Alabama, first cousin is far enough out that Alabama allows it, Alaska allows it, Arizona only if they're older or infertile, Arkansas no, California, Colorado yes, Delaware no. Let's come down to where we're at, Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is a no, but Maryland is a yes. And just out of curiosity, West Virginia is a no. All right. Um, so if you live in a state where it's not prohibited, I mean, if you live in a state where it's prohibited, should you marry your first cousin? No. At least not in that state. If you live in the other ones, you could. Does it, would it necessarily be a good idea? Huh? What's your question? Would it necessarily well, be a good idea? There's some other things probably to consider as well. Um, there's uh, in Romans chapter 12, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, Romans chapter 12, Paul uh, makes the statement in, uh, in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I think that starts to come into play and some other different biblical principles come into play in considering who you're going to marry. Um, would it be an honorable thing in the sight of all to marry your first cousin? Um, and there are a bunch of different directions that we could go into and in talking about that. Um, but maybe something else to think about. And, and I would throw this out on that. Um, sometimes what society says is honorable or not is not honorable. Right. For example, some years ago, it was considered very dishonorable for a black person and a white person to marry and have children. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was due to the racism of the people involved. Richard Nixon, um, in a transcript, said something pretty horrible. He, after Roe v. Wade uh, went through, Nixon, in a transcript, said he did believe abortion was necessary in some instances. And then that's one of the things he cited. Mm -hmm. like. If, if a child is going to be born to a black and a white. That's horrible. That is horrible. To Richard Nixon, that would have been dishonorable. But the problem there is how dishonorable, you know, his view is that that would be a justification for an abortion. So we're not bound to please everybody. But uh, I did some counseling with a young man who one time who wanted to marry his first cousin. He was very young. He was very immature. It wouldn't have been a good idea. He wasn't ready for marriage anyway. But I pointed out to him, your family doesn't want this to happen. Her family doesn't want this to happen. You know, do you want, I said, you could go to another state, you know, and marry her. But do you want to do something that both families disapprove of? And then I also raised the question of, you know, when, if you, then if you have children, could there be genetic problems? And the problem of, you know, people asking their children, oh, what about your dad's family and your mom's family? And finding out it's the same. Now there have been cultures where it was pretty prominent. Uh, Charles Darwin was married to his first cousin. Um, she was a Wedgwood of the 
uh, famous, if you're familiar with Wedgwood, China, wealthy family in uh, porcelain China, wealthy family in England, and they were first cousins. Uh, but I've been talking way too much, so I'm going to be quiet and let you the other guys talk about this. Wait, wait, wait. You were going to take us back to Adam and Eve. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the other question I want to pose to you guys. Um, if then you had these prohibitions that applied not only to Israel, but the Hittites, Hivites, and Jebusites shouldn't have been doing this, what about Adam and Eve? Well, there was no Canaanites yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And, and like I mean, there's nobody yet. <laughs> Genesis doesn't spell out uh, all of the things that God communicated to those early people. And it seems like when you have, a, obviously, an incredibly small gene pool, you have two humans starting. And then, of course, you have, you know, Cain, Abel, Seth. Um, and some people say, well, where did Cain get his wife from? You know, it seems like there's a lot of other things not recorded in the text going on. And the other thing is, is that it seems like there are certain aspects of things that God permitted at a time and then later prohibited it. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like marrying close relatives would be one of those things. You, you'd have to marry somebody closely related to you, one of your siblings, if you're Cain, Abel, um, Seth, et cetera. And what would be some of the differences then from now that would make it different? Well, the gene pool would be perfect. Yes. Adam and Eve, just created by God, wouldn't have had mutations. And so the, the, the threat of the genetic problem, even though people back there wouldn't have understood it, God understood it, um, that wouldn't have been a problem immediately. And, we, and, and as uh, Patrick brought out, somebody had to marry their sister. Yeah. And the thing is, there's also this. There's not a us versus them distinction. Do you remember in Leviticus 17, on one of the prohibitions, it said, whether brought up in your house or in another house? You remember that distinction? Yeah. And if you go back and if you look at some of the state laws, they will talk about whether or not the person grew up with you or not. There's, you know, the, the per, we grow up in a larger society, and so there's a distinction between family and the general population, right? Yeah. You are not to look for your spouse in your nuclear family. You look for your spouse out there in the population. In Genesis uh, 4, there's no distinction. Because there's no other population. Yeah, yeah. In the very, now, Adam and Eve lived for hundreds of years. So after a while, you've got, you know, a ton of people. But in the very, very beginning, um, you wouldn't have had that immediate distinction. All right, anything else on that? Can you just wrap this up with one bottom line point? In some, in some countries, 100 years ago in England, it wasn't that big a deal, or 200 years ago. Um, usually in the United States, it's going to be frowned upon. Uh, biblically, cousin is not within the prohibited ranks back there in Leviticus 18. So I wouldn't bind that on somebody else. But just like it says in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, all things are lawful, not all things edify. Not everything that's legally allowable in some places is necessarily a good idea. Thank you. That, that, that's good. But if you didn't have all of that background we talked about, 
summation wouldn't have made as much sense. So what's Let's next there, Scott? To, uh, we're going to look at some things in, Revel in Romans 12 and 13. I'm going to ask you guys to start going through that with this question in mind. Uh, we're not going to be talking uh, politics today and telling people uh, that they have to vote or not vote. Uh, or, but um, probably a lot of you are concerned about the election and concern about election uh, can produce a lot of emotions. Uh, it can bring you say anxiety. It can produce anxiety. What else can an election produce? Uh, dissatisfaction. Yes. What else? Anger. Anger. Yes. What else? Revenge. I want revenge. Yes. <laughs> it didn't go my way. Bitterness. Yes. Bitterness. Yeah. Yes. And then downright meanness, you know, just like mockery and 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 all sorts of things. So with that in mind, uh, guys, start talking to us. And you can use Proverbs. You can use any other text you want to. But let's also look at Romans 12 and verse 13 and start taking this through some important principles to remember if an election doesn't go the way you wanted it to or some important points to remember if an election does go the way you wanted it to, what should our attitudes be? You have brought this up, Scott, and I think a lot of times we think we need to be really careful um, whenever something doesn't go the way that we uh, want it to, to not be bitter and upset and angry. But the alternative of that is also pretty dangerous of when things go the way we want it to, not to gloat and rub it in people's faces. And so one thing that you brought up, um, there's a proverb about that in Proverbs 24 uh, in verse 17. It says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let, no, let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Um, it's not good for us. And nobody, nobody likes a sore winner. And uh, the Bible also prohibits sore winning uh there in in proverbs 24 so we need to be careful regardless of what happens if uh if by the end of today or whenever what you wanted to happen happens great you still need to wake up the next morning and go to work and be kind to people and treat people with respect and act honorably and honor god yeah um, so. and let, let's let's break that down a little bit more don't rejoice when your enemy falls um is it okay to rejoice if good things happen instead of bad things? Like, let's say we're Israelites and we're in a village and we're selecting who's going to, you know, lead the village as a village elder, right? And um, Drew and Jonathan are two of the village elders there, okay? Uh, Drew has gray in his hair and Jonathan has no hair on his head, so we're going to let them be the village elders there. Well, it would be great if you had it there. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and one of them, I'm not going to say which, is an honorable and good man. And the other one has been moving rock boundaries for years. He's been oppressing widows and orphans. Uh, he's a liar. He's, he's an Absalom type. You know, he's pandering for people, you know, and, and that type of thing. Uh, Drew, Jonathan, who wants to be the bad guy? I'll be, right. I'll be the bad guy. All right. 
Thank you, John. <laughs> so, Jonathan's the bad guy. Stephen and I are hoping that Drew is going to be recognized by the city as, as the village as being our, 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 our city leader. Um, if most people see through the Absalom pandering that Jonathan's doing, Stephen, is it okay for us to rejoice in that? In, in people seeing through that? Or? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, it's yeah. rejoicing yeah. in what's right and good and true. So I don't have to wish that the wrong person should succeed in getting more power. But should I wish that, uh, in this case, the other one, that he has a heart attack, that he, he dies, that he falls in, in the mud, that his, you know, his wife leaves him uh that his should i wish evil for him no right so even for our enemies what should we want for our enemies good things i mean yes rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep yeah and do unto others as they should do on you would have them do unto you wait a minute scott wait, Go a, minute. wait a minute i think i have a workaround here Go for it. And who is my neighbor? Oh, no, no, no. I could go ahead and keep burning coals on that person while I'm doing good for that person. Get my revenge at the same time. And that's what it says there. You're talking about Romans 12. How about 20, verse 20? Jonathan, you want to tackle that? Yeah, I think that's... Um, a you couldn't get a, a more incorrect view of a Bible verse, I think, than that. Um, See, I think we got our roles mixed up here. Yeah, if you if if you read, okay, so we'll read Romans twelve verse twenty. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You could read that and think, oh, good, you know, um, you know, I, I can make them, you know, give them what's coming to them in this special way and kind of here's here's the loophole you know i'm not supposed to attack them or do evil to them but here's the loophole of making them you know get what they deserve well passive aggressive revenge yeah the passive yeah, aggressive yeah. revenge that's not the point of romans 12 20 and that principle um and you can tell from the verses that surround it uh in verse 17 repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for his written vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Then we have our verse 20, and then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All surrounding that idea is don't wish evil on someone, don't want to do evil because they're doing evil. God will take care of that. God is just, God will, will give the wicked what they deserve. It's your responsibility to do what's good to as many people as you can. Excellent, excellent. You know I was doing that facetiously. Well, it's hard to tell Drew sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was the good guy here. Wait a minute, John. Was back. Oh. All right, so so go ahead, continue. I interrupted you, Scott. Uh, so guys, what are, what are some other important biblical principles from Romans 12, 13, or any other text you want to bring in? What are some other important principles to remember on a day like this? Uh, verse 14, uh, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. 
uh, uh, one of the big excuses that people use to mistreat others is, well, they mistreated me first. They, they were mean to me, therefore I can. Or they persecuted me, therefore I can now curse them. I can now mistreat them. I mean, this goes right back to the end here, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, even if you don't agree with somebody politically, there are people mistreating each other in all kinds of ways, whether it's politically or otherwise. If you are mistreated, pray for that person. Jesus said, pray for your enemies, do good to them. Um, and so just th that bottom line principle of I'm going to treat my neighbor with respect, even if they slander me or, or do things to hurt me. Um, but we need to, need to be, as, as God's people, we need to be prepared to, to suffer um, and to, to bless those who persecute us, uh, bless and do not curse. Very good. What else? You mentioned... Let me just ask a question there. Not only are we told to pray for our enemies, how does it benefit us when we pray for our enemies? It affects your mindset. If you're, uh, if you're praying for your enemy, you're not going to have very much time to mentally process all the things and the hard, you know, difficult things that you wish would happen to them. You're going to be caring about them, wanting what's best for them. It's going to be what's on your mind and change your general mindset as well. You'll be less, you'll be less bitter. You'll get rid of that bitterness. Yeah. Now on the flip side also, so, so mentioning when things do go your way, don't gloat. That's not good. Um, when things don't go your way, don't pout and become bitter and and become rebellious either. Um, so we'll talk literally in the election. Uh, in the next chapter in Romans 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and that, that those that exist have been instituted by God. Um, God has ordained government. He has made government to be good, and the, the rest of those verses, which we won't read um, right now, um, they talk about the benefits of government and the help that government's supposed to do. It's supposed to punish the wicked, vindicate the righteous, all those kinds of things. It's one of the things that God established to do that in this world, because we're not supposed to take vengeance for ourselves. God will take care of that. One of the ways he does that is through government. I so what you're, what you're going to, you're sort of, if, if your candidate wins, don't mm -hmm. gloat on it and don't go after the other guy. Mm -hmm. because this candidate was, and then you start beating him over the head because your guy won. Yeah, yeah. And then on the flip side of that, if your candidate doesn't win, he's still the candidate that won. That's he's it. still the governing authority. Uh, it's your responsibility as a citizen to obey them, given that they're not requiring you to do something outside of God's law. Um, and we could go elsewhere to see that in the book of Acts uh, or various different places like that. But I think we need to be really careful. There's a general attitude that I noticed, and I'm, I'm fairly young. I can really remember being involved in two different elections so far. Um, and in the second one, the one before this year, I remember the general attitude was, um, if, your president, if your candidate won, uh, rub it in everyone's face. And if your candidate didn't win, that's not my president. And uh, we need to be careful of thinking about that in that way. If Joe Biden wins, Joe Biden is my president. If Donald Trump wins, Donald Trump is my president, or anyone in between, they're the president. Um, and we need to realize that regardless of who wins, God is king, Jesus is reigning, he's the Lord, um, and we need to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. That's exactly right. That's because that's our system of government that we live under, and chapter 13 covers that. Stephen. 
uh, Juan just came in with a really good comment here on Facebook video. He said, praying for your enemy allows you to expand your perspective on what really matters. Sometimes your enemy isn't really mad at you, but perhaps it's something indirectly related. Hard to be upset when you realize how human your enemy is. Mm. That's a great comment. And, and, and that really is one of the big problems in politics right now is the dehumanization of the other side and just vicious attacks but uh, when we see that we're all each other's neighbors makes it a lot easier to love our enemy very good and let's finish with this um sometimes people will complain about the government well but that's not who i voted for or it's corrupt or i and so i'm not going to pay my taxes who was in charge at the time that paul wrote romans uh, caesar who was not very righteous yeah yeah, it, it's not that you pay taxes if you decide you 100% approve of all the policies and all the personalities. No. They were, Jesus said, render to Caesar. And so let's close out with 13, 6, and 7. Somebody read that for us, please. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Even if the money is used in an unrighteous way. In a Colosseum where they're having horrible looking things in the Colosseum. Yep. Owe no man anything except love one another. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. Thank you, people. Thank you all for your discussion today. Um, and to our audience, if you all have any questions or comments or anything else that you want to talk about on that topic uh, or any other topic, uh, whether it's a specific Bible text or something uh, related to a Bible text or just a general question that we can help to answer from the Bible, you can submit that to us to BibleQuest.org and we'll be happy to talk about that uh, next week or in our following shows that we have on Tuesday afternoon. Thank you all for coming in and we'll see you all next week, Lord willing.